Okay, well, just uh, uh, this maybe won't be quite part of the podcast, but just quick introduction. This is my friend Grant. I've known Grant since I was in sixth grade, and this is uh, my friend Derek, who I've known since I graduated college. Um, so. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. So for the listeners, this is like actually us meeting for the first time. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's yeah, not, it's, it's not a staged meeting introduction. Or organic. <laughs> Yes. Um, cool. And Zach, yeah, you, you wanted to bring Grant on to ask a question. Grant, I don't know what your background is. It's not physics. Is that right? It's not, it's not physics. I have a, a bachelor's in nursing, okay. um, which does not require uh, physics or even really calculus. So um, I, I, I bring a question in my curiosity and my best ability to um, try to understand your guys's explanation yeah so um quickly for the listeners we're just trying this is a new a new bit i guess new piece <laughs> for us obviously you've never heard a third voice here um and i've said this to derek for a long time but i've yet to commit to making it happen so this is the first time i've made it happen that i can say i want guests on the on the podcast i want to talk to other people um and so my thought here is you know, I've known Grant since sixth, sixth grade. I always say that word wrong. And we've, um, we've just been inquisitive our entire lives. Um, you know, I, we did crazy things as uh, kids. Like we found an old stove on the road once and like took it apart. And um, we bought a grappling hook and tried to see what we could hang and do with a grappling hook. You know, I, I don't know. We, <laughs> we like to find something and poke and prod at it and see what happens. Young, um, young, inquisitive minds trying to uh, explore the world for visibilities. You know, and so as we got older, we kind of diverged, took different paths a little bit. But whenever we meet back up, Grant always has a question for me. You know, because he, he doesn't <laughs> study physics. And so he always has some sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, how many hydrogen atoms are there in the universe? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, wh why does, uh, why do things fall when I drop them? I don't know. That's maybe a little too trivial. But, you know, he always has something. Um, and it, they turn into these long conversations that I think are pretty interesting. Um, and what I like about talking with Grant is Grant's kind of on this level of where he like has poked and prodded around enough in the world that he has like a pretty good intuition for things, but he doesn't necessarily have all the jargon and terms and everything that you and I have, Derek. Um, so I, I figured, I think he's like a pretty good representative of someone we might find in our, in our audience. So I figured having him be able to say like, wait, I don't know what the heck you guys just said there. Can you well, let's, <laughs> let's try it. Um, so that's kind of the goal here. And so, uh, yeah, I asked Grant to come up with a question. Um, uh, he told uh, us ahead of time, so we had a little bit of prep time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, what actually happened is Zach said, uh, do you have a question? And immediately in our conversation, I was like, yes, I have one. I have one cooking. I've had one for some time. So <laughs> there was no need to come up with a question. One was already there. <laughs> So what, what's the question? <laughs> Let's hear okay, it. So I, I tried to think of how to phrase this question um, in a good manner. Here's what I came up with. Does randomness truly exist? Or do we just not have the means to collect enough data to calculate what we call random? Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, done. See everyone. <laughs> Thanks for coming, right. Grant. The, the answer to that A or B question is yes. <laughs> and I wanted to, I my my interest in this question, um, I kind of I kind of almost don't want to go there because it, it could lead to philosophy, and that's not I figure that's not really where we're trying to go. Um, so that's. I, I am just curious if things are random because it's not worth figuring out uh, where exactly everything is, or if we're limited by computing technology to figure out, you know, everything. Um, are things actually truly random? So I'll admit, when I heard, first heard the question, I interpreted it. I interpreted it totally differently than the way you asked it. <laughs> I thought I mean, it was I'm, I thought it was going to be a question about uh, computer algorithms and like if you type a rand in Excel and it gives you numbers like is that truly random? And Zach you and I have talked about like fancy ways that computers actually quote unquote actually spit out a random number um, through weird tricks. So that's where I thought it was going and then after I I think a little bit more of an explanation I realized it's that's not what the question was asking at all. <laughs> that's not at all what it was intended. So um yeah, I don't I th think that's out of the bounds though of what would be interesting to to help Grant here understand whether randomness is real or not. I mean, yeah. and also if that's if if the initial question is very much like Yes. Um, I didn't I didn't know that your interpretation of my question was a question that I have, but now it's actually also a question that I have. <laughs> so in addition to that, yeah. yeah. Does, can computers spit out random things actually yeah. randomly? Um, and I think I think we're gonna eventually end up in philosophy no matter what we try to avoid. Like it's gonna go there. Um, because as Zach said, physics, like if you just are like the laws of physics are this. And they are random, yes. And then we're done. And so we can talk about why. Um, but I think when people ask about randomness, it's implicitly um, we we assume physics plus the concept. I'm going to say it: free will. I think that's where we're going. Um, but it's like that's outside of physics. So anything inside of physics is the randomness, yes. But outside of physics, there's other things that we can tack on and describe emergent things about people and I don't know if that's where we're going and I, I did see this question on Reddit I don't know if you were the asker of this question on Reddit um, like a week ago but the person the person specifically said the the motivation for the question was staring at a fire pit and watching the flames and saying if I knew everything about the molecules that produce that fire in the fire pit would I be able to describe the flames perfectly and then the the like not being able to do that was what they meant by randomness. So I don't know if you have something to add to that, Zach. So yeah, I have I have two things. One is I think I think my joke answer of yes though is was to answer that both things that Grant talked about I think are true. That they're it, you know if we could know things fine grain enough like what that question asker was asking, then a lot of times you, we can say we can kind of have determinism like we would know where what's going to happen but if you go deep enough particularly towards quantum mechanics you get to the point where you have as far as we know true randomness so but both both kind of exists and i kind of listed three i came up with three 
you know, physics examples of, of the kind of the different types. Um, and I can, I can talk about each one of those briefly and we can go into detail on any one of them if you want. Um, uh, I, the, the three things I came up with was kind of like a thermo uh, talk a little bit. Uh, I don't have much to say on this, but a little bit on chaos and then some on, on quantum. I think you're kind of headed in the right direction. I feel like I should preface it. I feel like I should preface a little bit of, of my understanding of where my question comes from and my understanding of physics. So um, I think if you don't know, this is an assumption. I think if you don't know a lot about physics, like I do, um, like uh, classical mechanics or something like that is really intuitive, right? Like, oh yeah, there's equations we can figure out. You know, if we know these variables, we could figure out when you drop this ball and um, you can figure out how fast it's going or where it's going to land. Um, and so without knowing why things are random on a smaller scale, it, it seems very um, easy to extrapolate that and go, well, why couldn't you just predict, is there really randomness? Because we can predict things on this macro scale. Why can, why can we not predict it on a micro scale, right? Um, to use terms that probably don't apply in those senses. But um, that's kind of where my question comes from, is, is why, why is there randomness once you get to such a small extent? Is it because there are the instruments that we try to calculate it with just interfere with, um, you know, it's, you know, if you're trying to sense something, right, and you're just interfering with it a little bit, trying to get a read on it, that creates what we call randomness, or if we could figure out how to calculate it without interfering it, would we realize, oh, it's not really random. Um, we just didn't have enough data. So, yeah, okay. So I guess that answer, or one, one aspect to the, that to think about for me is, is chaos. Um, uh, cue Jurassic Park theme music. Derek, why did that in? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... I, I'm sure. Have you heard of Chaos Grant? Uh, yes, I've I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. Me either. Um, <laughs> I, I know, but I know I know the like bare the bare bones. Um, and chaos, loosely described, is uh, determinism that we can't determine. Maybe is a good way <laughs> to think about it. Um, it's like uh, the good physics example of chaos is a double pendulum. Um, so are you, you're, you're familiar with a pendulum, right? Yes. So a double pendulum is you take your one pendulum and you hang another pendulum off of it. And now you have essentially two pendula in series. Um, and that system is what we call chaotic. And by that, I mean, if you move each pendula to some particular angle and you let the system go, there's you pretty much can't predict where what the path of each pendula each each bob of it would be and the reason that you can't predict that though isn't because uh it's just fundamentally unpredictable it's it's because it, it is a system of of chaos in that if if you took if you put it to these two initial angles you know and let it go but then next time you put it to what you thought was the exact same initial angles, but it's really just slightly different. Like you haven't done a whole, like you can't perceive the difference. 
In fact, you can go so far as to say like you have really good measuring equipment. And even with your really good measuring equipment, all measuring equipment has error, uncertainty in it. Even to that precision, and you let it go again, it would take a different trajectory. The, the, the pendulum would move around because the, the, the way chaos works is slightly, very slightly different initial conditions can cause drastically different outcomes. And so if you can't measure those initial conditions to absolute precision, you can't predict what will happen in the future. But if you could do it, there's nothing stopping us from uh, you know, actually predicting where it would go. Yeah. And there's sometimes a lot of times there are particular initial conditions, some special ones that we can set up and predict what will happen. Yeah, it's it's that the fundamental laws are deterministic. Like given the current state, we will be able to predict the future state, assuming in practicality that you could know the state to infinite precision. Um, even computer modeling, you run up into like the amount of information that could be stored in an in initial condition. If you tried to like run a program to simulate it, eventually it would end up being slightly different down the line after so many iterations because of like the imprecision of the the storing of information on your computer. So yeah, that's that's a way that I guess you yeah, have randomness creeps in even though the laws are fundamentally deterministic and there is no randomness in like what should happen to a double pendulum to any mechanical system. Um, the fact the the practicality, the practical limitations of defining a state of that system leads to unpredictability by default. Yeah. And there's there's varying ways to to quantify how chaotic a system is. Like use the double pendulum, you skip past the single pendulum because the single pendulum isn't chaotic or not as chaotic. But yeah, there's there's ways, mathematical ways to define the chaoticity, is that even a word? <laughs> of of what's happening. So yeah, it's a fun field of math and applied applied math. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if I, that was super clear, but to like kind of make a counter example of like what isn't chaotic, right? It's just yeah, like Derek was saying, a single pendulum. Maybe I should have started there. Is you know, you a single pendulum is uh, <clears throat> defined by its its length uh, is the thing that that matters, and if you uh, you know have a pendulum that's the same length and you move it and you let it go at the exact same spot. It's going to be, and maybe you make the length just slightly different. The period of it would just will get slightly longer, slightly shorter. It like kind of tracks with your with your motion. But like with a chaotic system, it would be, you know, if a single pendulum were to be chaotic, it would be like you make it just slightly longer, and now the period is ten times bigger or something, and then you make it a little bit longer, and now it's one tenth the, you know, and it, it seems like as you kind of go through it that there's no you know, uh, without further thinking, like there's no rhyme or reason to it, but really there is, you just, you, you can't measure it cleanly enough. So, so that's actually, that's actually like the core of my question. I just didn't know if I could go, if that was too far into the realm of, of philosophy, but yeah, like Laplace's demon, right? If you could know everything, right. Would you then determine like, Oh, there are actually, you know, when things get small enough, they are random. Um, or would you say, no, it's all calculable. It's just so much data. Well, yeah, yeah. So that was my next, 
That was my next example to give you is, uh, and I, I, I used Thermo for the example where Thermo, thermodynamics is, is, you know, essentially we just talked about this on our podcast, but you know, it's a, it's a, uh, field that they study, uh, kind of what happens on a macro scale to stuff happening in the micro scale. So it's like you have a gas, right? And you compress the gas and you can figure out what happens to like the temperature of the gas, but you don't know what's happening to every molecule of the gas, for instance, right? But the 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 field that studies you there's a field that studies the molecules called statistical mechanics. And what they have done is they have figured out by putting all a lot of this stuff together that you can actually end up describing how the things change on the macro scale. So they, they started with the small to explain the big, but even that isn't like they don't track every molecule or anything when they're, or they're doing that of, of the gas. And I, I just wanted to know. So I did this math uh, is okay. So Grant's a nursing major. Grant, what is the title volume of your breath? Do you know? Wait, what? What is it? Oh, the title volume. It's how much you inhale and exhale normally. Oh, okay. Putting me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I think the dead space is probably like 500 milliliters. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yeah. what I want to. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> half a liter. Good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so just just for the sake of simplicity, I said, okay, imagine it's all nitrogen. Um, you can, air is 80% nitrogen, whatever. We're physicists. Cows are spheres. Um, and... So the, the the thing I think that like people, it's hard to do. We've been trying to do this a lot with uh, billionaires to like explain like, what does it really mean to have a billion dollars? And it's really hard for people to fathom numbers beyond, the, you know, how big they are. Like, it's just hard. So this is kind of one of those problems. So I was trying to figure out how much data would it take to to track a breath? And... So you have half a liter. If it's nitrogen, you have like two hundredths or something like that of a mole of it. Which do you remember what a mole is? Yeah. Yeah, six point oh two times ten to the twenty-three molecules or atoms or whatever, of whatever thing you have, right? So okay, it's it's you know like two hundredths of that or two thousand something like that, whatever. It doesn't really matter. So uh, oh, actually, I have it. Yeah, it, it's it. Basically, in your breath, there are one and a one point three three times ten to the twenty two molecules of nitrogen in this case. Um, and then I said, okay, when we track particles, especially when they're like we treat them as billiard balls in physics, the things that we care about are its position and its momentum. And the position has three. Uh, coordinates x, y, and z, and the momentum has a coordinates x, y, and z. So that's six total coordinates. So I said, okay, let's store each of those as a 32-bit number, which is kind of a standard practice. So then that leads to, if you store that number of molecules with those six 32-bit numbers for each molecule, that is 20 trillion terabytes of data. <laughs> and And just... Because 20 trillion is still a big number. I still haven't made this real, I don't think. I kept going. Um, that's, uh, let's see, 672 billion 30 terabyte SD, like what's in your laptop. So then the next day, I said, okay, right, that's still not, I still don't have enough info there to help. So I said, okay, what's the volume of an SSD? How much, if you were to put all that data on SSDs, what volume would that fill? 
And it, the answer is 67 million cubic meters. Okay, still not based in reality yet. What is the volume of the Empire State Building? It's 1 million cubic meters. So the data in your breath would take up 67 Empire State Buildings worth of 2.5 uh, uh, inch hard drives, 30 terabyte hard drives. Nice. So, that's that's so, that's even making assumptions to simplify things. Meaning yeah. like we're just talking talking about balls of nitrogen molecules, not worried about the interaction information or yeah, the, the quantum stuff going on inside the the atoms themselves. So it can keep going, even more information is available, but we don't we have to stop somewhere. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I all I can think of as you explain how much data that is is like a simulation theory. And then how much, but that's, that's, not, that's neither here nor there for this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So basically Laplace's demon is like so outside the realm of possibility, even considering one breath um, worth of information that it's essentially not irrelevant. It's a philosophical tool to think about things, but we, we just don't worry about it. Like <laughs> um, not, not possible to gather all the information about position and momentum of all particles and draw conclusions. But in theory, if you could, yes, everything is deterministic, except I think your third point, Zach, is going to come up. Um, our laws of physics are deterministic. Given some state, you can figure out where it was, you can figure out where it's going to go in the future to infinite precision if you define the initial state infinitely precisely. Um, but let's hear number three, Zach, because I think that's going to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so uh, number three, oh, and just to be clear, though, Grant, because I kind of said this, but I just want to rehash it. You know, a breath takes up that much data, but like the cool thing with physics is that a lot of still the information that you really care about on your day-to-day -day life, you don't need all that to, to like, figure out what's going to happen, right? Like what is the volume of your breath or like what is the temperature of it? Or, you know, it's kind of weird talking about just breathing it out into the air, but you know, for physics, you breathe it into a sealed cylinder that you then can compress and do work on it or something like that. But like, you know, you can, you can, you get a lot of, you get really far by looking at these kind of state properties of the collective of the group instead of, of like each individual thing. Okay, so the last thing, this is going to ruin everything <laughs> as far as we, we, we know. So, so far, I think we've said pretty much with infinite precision, you can, you can know, but infinite precision is just impossible. Infinitely, it's, yeah, infinitely yeah. hard. <laughs> um, okay, so the last part is quantum mechanics. This is where it all breaks down. It's, it's where there is, there, there's true randomness as far as we can tell. Um, and we, we have had podcast episodes on this and, and maybe we, we can rehash some of that a little bit. I was thinking, but, uh, basically like, I think the, the easiest example, the, the quintessential example everyone turns to is the double slit experiment. Are you familiar with the double slit experiment? Uh, no. Okay. So it's where you take something like a, a photon or maybe an electron is a little more, you know, tangible. Uh, for you, I don't know. So you take an electron, one electron, and you fire it at a pair of slits, like a you know a a piece of metal with two holes, two line, two vertical holes in them. And then on the other side of the slits, you put a detector that detects where the electron landed. 
and you fire one electron at a time. May I, yeah, we'll just say one electron at a time, whatever, that's fine. Um, and you do this, you know, a, a billion times or a trillion times or whatever. Uh, what you see on the other side, if you were to imagine baseballs flying through a slit, right, would be two vertical lines that kind of match the shape of the slit, right? They're not going to like go in crazy directions or just either going to go through the slit or they're going to hit the panel and, and not go through the slit. And that's kind of all you get. But with quantum, what you actually see is a wave pattern, it, like as though two waves went through each slit and the waves interfered with each other and then hit the detector. And you, you see this varying intensity pattern across the screen. So it'll have some bright spots, some dark spots, but it doesn't look like two slits is the, is the, is the key takeaway there. It kind of looks more like there's a bright spot in the middle and then it gets dark and then it gets bright again and dark. And as you get away from the middle type of, of thing. And fundamentally, we don't have a way of predicting where that electron beforehand is going to hit on that screen. So it can hit any of those bright spots. Basically, a bright spot means more electrons hit that spot than a, a less bright spot. Dark spot means no electrons hit that spot. We can tell you kind of the group behavior. We can tell you a lot of electrons hit here. A lot of electrons did not hit here. But we can't, if you fire an electron beforehand, I can't say that electron is going to hit this spot here. Like, I just can't do it. So there's your randomness built in the laws of physics because the laws of physics predict exactly where those bright spots are, but we can't say it's going to, this electron is going to hit that bright spot. Like that's not possible. Can we not do that or can it not be done? Whoa, Albert Einstein. It's worse. <laughs> it's worse than that. It's, it's not even that it, ha it doesn't happen. Like it, it, um, the, the rules of quantum mechanics say that both things happen at the same time, meaning Ask the question, um, where will the electron hit the screen? And to do that requires the electron to go through both slits in um, in our current universe. Like w the past history of that electron was that it went through both slits. Um, now, if we would have phrased the question differently and said, which slit did the electron go through? And by asking that, we we try and answer it by measuring it. it, it fixes it to go through one of the two slits. But before we ask which one and, and we check which one did it go through, the physics says it went through both. And the physics at random takes that like, I'm going to use the technical term, the wave function, and it interferes with itself and then it hits the screen somewhere with the probability dependent on how that wave function varies with space along the screen. And so the randomness shows up because the fundamental laws of physics for that electron are a probability distribution along the screen with like a 10% chance it's here, 45% chance it's there. We can get those probabilities. Those probabilities are deterministic in that we know what they are based on the formulas, but just because we know the probabilities doesn't mean that the actual answer of like, where did it hit on the screen? That's not determined by the laws of physics. Yeah. And so Albert Einstein asked the same question you did. He, he said, I think it's just you like, so there's two, there's two fields of thought even today. Um, and you know, just for 
referenced Albert Einstein and Bohr and everything were arguing this in the 20s, of 1920s. It is the 20s now, jeez. <laughs> um, the other 20s, but, uh, the last 20s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they, Bohr said, no, this is just, you can't do this. This is just the way the world works. And Einstein thought, I think maybe you just don't know enough that there's there's some information that you could dig down deeper and figure figure this out. Um, and basically that would mean that they there's something that they call the hidden variable. There's there's something that we don't know exists that we can maybe measure to determine where, you know, like for the electron, if we could measure that before it hit the screen, we would know where it's gonna land after it passes the slits or before it passes through the slits, we could know where it will land on the screen. Um, but then in, is it the fifties, sixties? I don't know when bell came along, uh, mm, something like that, uh, bell came along and, and did created this theory that said, okay, if hidden variables exist, we expect this outcome to happen. He gave an experiment to test whether that's true or not, whether or yeah. not, uh, hidden variables exist outside of what we currently understand of physics. And he says, if there are, yeah, we can run this experiment and see certain things. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't say like, we can measure, we'll figure out what those hidden variables are. Just, just if it exists, if there are hidden variables, we expect this outcome, or if there are not, then this outcome. And we did the experiment and it turns out that, that there are no, and now I'm getting more technical here, what they call local hidden variables. Like there's no stamp on an electron that says, I will do this. I'm going to go, yeah, I will do this, that, that we can measure. And we've proven that. We've, we've shown that to be true. Yeah. 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 And, it, and the double slit is a great example of the quantumness of physics for particles. Um, a simpler one that's like, just answers the question, is there anything truly random? Is the decaying of a nucleus, an unstable nucleus? Like, it is truly random that it'll decay at some point. We can't predict it. We can predict the likelihood it's going to decay. We can, can predict if we had, you know, N atomic nuclei, how many would decay per minute or something like that, just as an average. Um, again, it's all statistical, and we know what the probabilities are, um, but we can't say definitively, like, this atom will decay at 10.47 a.m. on Saturday. And it, it's just a random chance every second of, is it going to happen this second? I don't know. Is it going to happen this second? I don't know. But each second has a, a likelihood that's, that is predicted by quantum mechanics. But the fact that it happens is not predicted. Quantum mechanics is fundamentally deterministic, which sounds like randomness shouldn't be allowed, but it is. So it's interesting that you have a theory uh, that explains experimental results very, very well that is completely deterministic, by which I mean, given an initial condition, you will know the um, the the state's state <laughs> at some later time, the system's state at a later time, fully determined by quantum mechanics. 100% explained, totally good. The problem is the state's definition is a list of probabilities of something happening. So there's your randomness by saying, deterministic probabilities. <laughs> you know exactly how those probabilities will change over time, but um, the end result of what actually happens at the end of doing some experiment, checking on something, sometimes called the measurement problem. Um, we know exactly what the probabilities are, but the second you check, it collapses down into one of those results of the experiment, which had a, prob a probability of occurring, um, but which one occurs is not determined by quantum mechanics. And, and additionally, though, so what is, so now I'm not going to add this yet. I don't want to convolute. I'll convolute. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I was going to add that the interpretations of what that means uh, vary. Different people interpret what the ramifications of that are in different ways. One of the ways, and I'm going to say it's the most most popular way with physicists right now, is uh, the many worlds interpretation of those results. Meaning, um, if there's a chance of going in the left slit and the right slit, and quantum mechanics tells you the odds of each one happening, and it's a it's a mix of both of both of those things until you ask and measure which one did it go through. Um, the many worlds interpretation says there's an, a a world where the particle went through the left slit, and there's also a world where the particle went through the right slit, and until you check, you don't know which world you're in. And in fact, you're in the world that's the unchecked world. So you let it go through. It actually goes through both. That's the world we're in if we'd let that happen. If we check and see it in the left one, we are now in the world of the left slit as the answer. And you continue on in that world forever. And like the, the worlds have just split. All of them are happening and we just find ourselves in different ones along the way. So all of them are determined by quantum mechanics and they're fully explained deterministically based on initial conditions totally understand all of that. Um, the weird thing is that there are all those worlds, but they're all deterministic. They're all determined and not random. But which one you find yourself in is the randomness. So um, just to make sure that I'm tracking. Um, <laughs> you, you got all that, right? We don't do that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did. It just went, it went slightly different than I had expected. So I was like... <laughs> Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> Let me just double check here. So um, in theory, it, it is deterministic, but also we may, according to the many, many worlds interpretation, just find ourselves in different universes, would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could pick your word. Planes of existence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and we have no idea which one we're in. And that is the randomness. Yes. Or, um, or which one we will end up in, maybe. We know which one we're in because we measured. Could you measure out we're, we're in the slot, the world where those electron went through the left slit. Yep. But beforehand, we couldn't tell if we were going to be in the world where it went through the left slit or the right slit. Right. That's right. So the, the likelihood of where you end up is determined 100%. Um, how many of How many versions of us are in the left slit versus the right slit? Totally determined. Um, and, but, but there's no way to look forward in time and say, which world will we, we be in, in the future, which one of us will be the one that goes to the left slit. Um, and to be fair, uh, I just brought in a word I shouldn't have us like the, the people, the things, um, they all are existing at all times. And it's a, it's, I mean, Zach went through the numbers for the molecules and a breath of air and then the information required the the amount of just numbers just the biggest number possible is that splitting of the universe that many times like literally every, i'm talking about slits left and right that's very clear one and two but like everything you're touching around you has like a chance of happening in some way and like every version of that is occurring at all times constantly splitting every molecular interaction in your body in your brain on your desk is occurring at once and we keep forking and splitting and how many universes are there now? I, it's, it's, it's a question of whether it's infinite or not. And I think there's implications of that. Um, like it could be an actual infinite result, but we don't actually know. So 
Also, I want to state that many worlds interpretation is just an interpretation. And there's, yeah. there's not like, like hard, concrete evidence where you've reached across to the right slit aisle and been like, <laughs> hey, you guys saw right slit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, there's no way to verify that as of yet. And there's other imp- uh, interpretations of quantum mechanics which have other meanings that don't lead to the splitting of worlds. Um, and they... I, I've gone deep into Sean Carroll, who's a physicist and pop science writer, um, in for other ways, but he talks about many worlds and he's a big proponent of it. And his reasoning is it is the only interpretation that doesn't add anything to quantum mechanics. It just takes what quantum mechanics says at face value and says, don't even bother with anything else. There is a wave function of everything and it behaves according to quantum mechanics as we understand it. Don't try and add other things that happen like a pilot wave or, um, the measurement problem, like all those things are adding on top of what we understand as quantum mechanics. Many worlds is the one that's just like the bare bones, take it at face value, don't try and do anything special. And it's weird, the end result is weird, but that's his reasoning is because it doesn't add anything. Very Occam's razor. Yeah. Well, a, a, a counter to it is Occam's razor is like, it's not that simple because it just feels so wrong. Like it's <laughs> not the easiest answer, therefore the right answer. But yeah, it does. It is that in that it doesn't add anything. So why not just yeah. believe it? Yeah. Question for the table. <laughs> if all of physics is deterministic, meaning given a perfect initial condition, meaning given uh, if Laplace's demon could exist, and it obey the laws of physics, which knew everything in the past, everything in the future, because it followed the rules. Are we deterministic? I, I just went into the outside of physics area, but I just that's where it leads, yeah. and it, it hurts my head to think about. And yeah, <laughs> I I I don't know as much physics as you guys. I am I would call myself a hard determinist. Mm-hmm. I totally, absolutely, I think yeah. Um, I think if you if you could say there's not randomness in Laplace's team, you could figure everything out. Um, yeah, that's that's where I would go. I don't I don't know where I stand honestly. I I it's definitely like into philosophy land that I'm not comfortable with, but um, I I tend to agree. Like if Laplace's demon could exist, then yeah, everything is deterministic. But does that mean we don't have free will? It's like remove the knowledge, like take Laplace's demon, infinite knowledge of everything, and then start chipping away and leaving some unknowns. And then I think we're left with what we would consider free will because we're unable to know everything. But clearly I can hit end on this call just by choice and say bye. But you know, you don't have a choice in that. But yeah, it's interesting. Like, I I don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. I know there's a lot of really interesting studies of things going like, if they put you in an fMRI machine and uh, look at your brain while you're making a choice uh, for a lot of choices, they can tell you what choice you're going to make before you know which choice you are going to make because they can see it in your brain happening before your consciousness recognizes that this is your choice. Um, so that you know that's kind of weird and interesting. Um, uh, but I mean, I think even Laplace's demon, though, right? Like Laplace's demon doesn't know which slit the electron went, or is going to go through. And yeah, so, so I should say the, the free will argument of like deterministic physics is um, get rid of the random chance of quantum mechanics because that just throws it out the window. But I don't. 
it's a different thing to say because of the randomness of quantum mechanics, we have free will. I don't know that that's true, but it's possible uh, yeah. to have randomness and free will, possibly. Yes. Yeah, so I guess what I was going to say is because there's there are people. I don't. I haven't read Penrose, but I know Penrose believes quantum mechanics is like a, a basis for consciousness. I there's a <laughs> professor at um, UCSB that studies these or is theorizing about these things called Posner molecules, which are in your brain. Um, and that, that those might be a vector for a quantum mechanical consciousness. And the point, I don't know if, if, if their goal or not is to say free will exists. I'm not sure that they're doing that or not, but the point I think is to say that there might be some unpredictable aspects to what makes consciousness consciousness and then in that case maybe there is more free will like things than we think but i don't know i think as soon as you um so i think if you take laplace's demon then you can figure out you know you know if you know all of the data you could figure out where everything's going you track everything i think then you would fall into the realm of hard determinism i think as soon as you start taking away known variables from that. In fact, I, I could be wrong, but I think if you take away one known variable, just have one thing that you don't know, then I, I think you open up the realm of free will because then you just don't know. But I think there's also an argument to say is that randomness is not free will. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I don't know the philosophical of logic for why that's true, but I think it is true that you take away one and then free will exists. It it seem it feels very God of the gaps for like atheism arguments. Like, oh, we don't know that, therefore it's God. And it's like, we don't know this, therefore it's free will. I, there must be a better argument for why that's true. <laughs> but it feels <laughs> not right. But it, it I think it is philosophically people have logicked through that reasoning. Um, there's a... a a thing I just was looking at before hopping on this call called compatibilism, where uh, free will and determinism are fine together. Like you can have both. You can have deterministic laws of nature and also have free will of people's actions. Um, and the the premise is no one has control over the past and the, no one has control over the laws of nature. And the past and laws of nature determine the future. Like take those two things as assumptions and I'm pretty comfortable with both of those as assumptions. Um, and therefore no one controls the future since no one controls the past and no one controls the laws of nature, which determine together the future. Um, no one can control the future. So I, and I think that is fine. You can have determinism and also free will by that. I mean, like you can't control the future. The future isn't determined. I might have just talked myself into a circle there. So apologies <laughs> for those taking notes and being like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's similar to the thermodynamics concept that we were talking about earlier of um, the, the dynamics of the molecules themselves are completely understood using billiard balls as just like things colliding in the air around us. Totally deterministic. But um, there's macroscopic emergent phenomena like temperature and entropy uh, that aren't, well, entropy in particular, not so much. Like given the initial state, we know exactly how things will evolve. And entropy 
ends up bringing in kind of a, a statistical way of thinking about the evolution of things. And I think in particular, the determinism works in both directions of time, meaning you can play a video back of billiard balls colliding and then go in the other direction, and it, it, it's explained through the same rules of physics. Um, but entropy is not. And so that and that introduces this asymmetry of past and future things that are allowed in physics. And that that might be a place where free will comes in. In that there's basically, basically the, the second law of thermodynamics means that we have free will. That's the <laughs> biggest leap of therefore, I think, possible. But <laughs> um, I think there's something there. I don't know what it is, but if I had to guess, it, it's somewhere in that realm of thinking about things where we introduce these gaps of free will and also time, the asymmetry there, which is going to be a later episode. I'm finishing up that Sean Carroll book, which is super interesting. And I feel like I could talk an episode worth of content through right now, but I want to finish the book to make sure I didn't say something totally wrong and then find out in a later chapter, like, oh, this is actually not the correct way to think of it. So. Well, cool. I think that was a fun conversation. Yeah. Did any, that? Any did we? Do we answer thoughts? your question? Do you have? Yeah. Any other yeah. <laughs> things you want to? Yeah. So, uh, can I can I read you my takeaway, and then you just like double back and tell me if I interpreted correctly or not? You're yeah. taking notes. Heck yes, I'm taking notes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I got a. What a good student. Now I'm nervous. I've never had something like back. I guess students do that all the time, but yeah, let's, let's hear, let's hear the takeaways. Oh, I, I, so yeah, I won't, I won't say every, everything. Cause I had a, it, you are very intelligent fellows. I had to take notes to track the conversation because <laughs> I'm out of my depth. Um, so to the initial question, um, if we were to say like love places, demon is a thing. Um, we, we could, in fact, the only thing that is kind of left unanswered about that is like radioactive decay. Um, I am not totally sure if that we, we'd said that that was random, but I don't know if you can know every element would that still be random. Um, I, I think the answer is yes to that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think that falls into the the hidden variables sort of thing where there's, there are just things that we, it seems like right now of all the knowledge that we have, you know, who knows what theories will come in the future, that there's no way for us to know what, like, like there's no, there's no stamp on a particle that will ever say, I will decay at this time. Like that, that just doesn't fundamentally doesn't exist. So because of that, some of these things are truly random, like that we you can't possibly predict it. Mm-hmm. I think Zach. I think Zach answered it in the very first with one word. He said yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the fire pit example, the person describing, like if I knew everything about the atoms that led to the fire, the flame coming up out of the wood, would I be able to explain in perfect detail the exact motion of the flame? And I think the answer is yes assuming there's not a huge source of radioactivity underneath the fire pit or something like that. But um, yeah, like you could in theory with Laplace's demon. But in practicality, there's randomness because we can't calculate. We don't have that much data. 
Right. And there's really not a need for that much data. We don't need to fill 67 Empire State Buildings <laughs> to calculate all of the nitrogen molecules in the tidal volume of one breath. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, if with that flame one, like it, it, that, that one just goes like, I can, it, it's like the many worlds. It's just so, it exponentially just grows with the amount of information that you need. Because I was thinking about it, like, okay, so you have a flame, or you, you, you probably need to know like where the energy first started on the fuel, mm-hmm. uh, how much oxygen is around it, the state of all the oxygen, because that's going to have to interact to create the, the combustion reaction. And then, you know, maybe maybe a oxygen molecule is, or is coming towards this spot of energy to create a reaction, but a cosmic ray comes flying out of nowhere, yeah. hits it and breaks <laughs> it into two oxygen atoms or something. So now you need to track where that cosmic ray is. And that cosmic ray came from a galaxy 500 billion years ago. And so from a star, you need to know what was going on in that star. Like it just, it just ramps up That's, super quick. <laughs> and I think, I think what you're highlighting is the back to the quantum mechanical many worlds thing is like there is a wave function of the universe and it's like all in, like literally all encompassing everything is explained by this mythical universal wave function but that for that exact reason because everything is so interconnected at some level um, we do need to take everything into account but quantum mechanics explains perfectly how that wave function behaves yeah. um, it's just a massive amount of information that's wiggling around Sean Carroll, again, I guess I'm just like fanboying it up today with Sean, but um, he has a good, uh, interesting take on the reversibility and the second law, where he says, take all the air in the room and squeeze it into a balloon, like a little ball in the center of the room, pop the balloon and let all the air just expand out. And that is explained through the dynamics of the particles interacting with themselves, slamming into the walls. Everything is fine and dandy with billiard ball mechanics and the second law of thermodynamics, totally fine. Works both uh, in both those cases. But play the videotape backwards of that occurring, and it's just, we don't see that ever happen. We never see the, all the air in the room collapse into a little balloon-sized sphere in the middle of it, and then we asphyxiate, asphyxiate out in the corners. Um, it just never occurs. So why why is that reversibility broken for that behavior? When the fundamental rules of the billiard ball collisions is totally reversible, um, it should be fine, but we just never see it. And you said something, Grant. Um, we, I think you said it a second ago about observing things where we look, not the quantum mechanical observations, but it gets kind of to the chaos talk where like if we were watching the gas molecules and we had that set up perfectly Laplace demon knowledge of the, mole- the molecular momentum and position of everything in the room and set it up exactly right and said go, we would never see them collapse back because just the act of looking, a photon hitting one of them would send it off and not let it come back to that perfect exact situation because in the second law of physics, it's just so unlikely to occur. It's just so so rare in terms of all the possible positions and momentum of all the gas molecules for them to exist in a little sphere in the middle of the room that looking at one of them on its way back to that position messes it up enough through chaos theory, you could say, um, that it wouldn't go back to that exact configuration. So I think that's an interesting split on the time decision, but also, yeah, why, why is it equally likely for things to collide as expected and forward and backwards in time, but not necessarily an ensemble collection of these huge numbers of particles. We just don't see it happen. 
one word I wanted to bring up, Grant, just to introduce to you that we haven't said yet. I don't know why we haven't said it, mm. but is this term called superposition? Mm. We, we, and we talked about it, but with, we didn't say the word. But yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, superposition. That well, there's there's like multiple meanings of that word, but in quantum mechanics, it's a combination of being in like multiple states at the same time. Um, so it was like back when Derek was saying, you know, the, when the, we look at the screen and we see the electron, we see that pattern. The only way for that pattern to have happened is for the electron to have gone through both slits at the same time. That's a superposition of going through the left slit and the right slit at the same time. And it's, it's not like it's a, a, uh, yeah, we don't know how to explain this. We're using this word it's like no it's, it's real it's a real superposition is like a state of being you can be in a superposition of states like like it's a um and so the i feel like that's just something that a lot of people aren't comfortable with is saying that you know light light took two paths at the same time or did this thing at the exact same time but that's just that's a superposition that's a thing we can deal with it we work with it uh quantum mechanically and it, it it it's fine. It's fine, and it actually ties how um, the double slit experiment ties into the radioactive decay randomness, because that is a superposition of decayed and not decayed in quantum mechanics. So those are the the two things existing at the same time until you have a little Geiger counter go click. We don't know if it's decayed or not. So it, it, if we don't have a Geiger counter, we're not checking. It's in a superposition of both of those states. Which we haven't talked about um, Schrodinger's cat, but that's why he brought in the cat in the box with the radioactive thing is because we know the radioactivity is a quantum mechanical process and it lives in a superposition of decayed and not. Let's lead to something macroscopic happening based on the results of that. And look how this is not enough information. Something's wrong is what he was trying to say. So um, yeah, it's the superposition principle that of, of quantum mechanics that leads to that uh, double slit interference pattern, but also the Schrodinger's cat with the decaying nucleus inside the box. Um, yeah, so that's that's the randomness of quantum mechanics in that it before you check, it's we know all the probabilities, but they're both happening at the same time. All results are happening at once until you ask which result happened, and then you say, okay, it's that one. But you got a roulette wheel worth of chances with particular odds for red or black or green, which quantum mechanics gives you perfectly. Cool. All right. Did, uh, yeah. So I guess I just want to make sure we answered or, or left you more satisfied than dissatisfied, Grant. <laughs> uh, yes. Sorry, no refunds. <laughs> Satisfaction not guaranteed. <laughs> I have, I, well, now I'm left with uh, accepting uh, superpositions <laughs> at the end of that like it's counterintuitive to me that I'm like two, something to be in two spots at the same time that's mm -hmm. what it seems like but I accept that because we live in a world where counterintuitive things happen yeah I mean yeah that, that's the there's the quantum mechanical interpretation summed up as shut up and calculate <laughs> and <I> mean, that's, <laughs> kind of, that's what I'm trying to advocate to you right now is that's just what we see when we do experiments. We see superpositions being real things. Mm -hmm. Don't question why they're there. Don't <laughs> try to explain them. Just they're there. Shut up and calculate. Like just 
it's a fact of life. Deal with it. <laughs> the calculate thing is important because we keep harping on the fact that quantum mechanics does give you the exact probability every time to the perfect results. Like you know what's happening in quantum mechanics probabilistically. Um, but that's the calculate part. It's like, just shut up. You can calculate the probabilities. It's always going to work. Um, but don't ask what happens when you actually do the measurement because that's just a interpretation. Cool. So yeah, like most good eye-opening lectures in class, I hope you leave with more questions than you came with. <laughs> uh, yes. Good. I think, I think after I soak in everything and I interpret it, I, I'm, I'm a man of many questions. I will probably have a lot of follow-up questions. Cool. Well, I, I enjoyed this. I think it was good to have... Uh, you know, a, a, a lay person um, on the podcast. So hopefully we can have you back in the future, Grant, and we have a continuing segment of Grant Asks. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll try to come up with a question that can uh, not be answered uh, with a yes. <laughs> yes. Yes or no questions are not. No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, thanks. It was great to meet you, Grant, and I uh, hope to have you back at some point in the future. If the, the laws of physics conspire, I think you don't have a choice. It's going to happen one way or the other. Yeah, I don't know yet, but it's determined. Depends, it depends on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I hope we land in the world where Grant joins us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys for uh, having me. It's been a pleasure. I, I would love to come back.